This is Dear Hallmark. Each week, I'll bring you reviews of your favorite Hallmark movies and TV shows. So grab a drink and let's see what we're getting into with this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Dear Hallmark. My name is Dara. And I'm so excited to bring you another installment of the Dear Hallmark Masterclass. If this is your first time listening to a Masterclass episode, what my heart and vision is, is that we kind of peel back the curtain, if you will, of the movies that we love in this made-for-TV romance movie space. And we get to talk to the people in the roles uh, that we don't see. So we've had production designers, writers. Uh, Today we have a set photographer. And we just pick their brain and learn the ins and outs of what their role is and how it contributes to the overall picture, excuse me, of us seeing the movie. So for today, I have the honor and the pleasure to introduce to some and bring back to others, Mr. Alistair Foster. You guys, you want to make sure you check out the first interview that I did with him last year about Color My World with Love. He was the set photographer for that movie. And we dive in deeper to into what he did, um, like kind of his upbringing and things like that. Um, but his relationship to Color My World with Love is is eye-opening. So you should really check out that interview. In this one, we deal specifically with set photography, what that looks like, what that means for him. And he is such, uh, my gosh, that man has a brilliant mind, brilliant and artistic. And it was such a pleasure talking with him. So I hope you guys enjoy our conversation for that conversation will come up right after this break. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sir, thank you for coming back again. How are you doing? Good, man. It's great to be back. I'm honored that you would even ask me to come back. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. And it is without question. And I told you this before we hit record, but you guys should really check out the interview I did with him last year. He was incredibly open and giving and generous with just what he shared about his life and how he got into photography. And we're going to touch on a little bit of that again today. But you guys be sure to check out that interview to get some more in-depth thoughts from Mr. Alistair. So, Alistair, I'm going to start off, though, with an icebreaker question before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of our conversation. So what is Mm -hmm. a TV show that you have just been binging lately that's captivated your attention? 
Uh, I'm back on Ted Lasso right now. Ah, okay. I have yet to watch that. How is it? Yeah, it is. It's incredible. I think it dovetails really nicely with like, uh, I think the audience that we're talking to right now, because it, it mm. stakes are generally really low and it's just a, it's kind of a feel good show. Like just like how a lot of the Hallmark movies don't leave you kind of down, you know, yeah. like it yeah. usually kind of, it's just, yeah, it's just a, it's real, but it's a heartwarming show and it doesn't really, I don't feel drained after it, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. in a world where there's already a lot of things going on and I yeah. don't necessarily need to see anything that's dark right now, you know what I yeah. mean? As my vaca vacation from reality. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lovely show, man. It really is. It's, uh great characters uh it's witty it's funny and uh you don't really need to know much about soccer to to get through it so yeah yeah great That's show cool. highly recommended what a uh, streaming platform can people watch it on i think i might check it out i haven't watched it yet that's uh apple i think it's exclusive to because oh, it is like an apple apple tv production yeah yeah okay yeah. okay i'm definitely going to check yeah. that out um, I've been on Hulu. I've been binging a living single. <laughs> I've been, uh... really, <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I feel like we're trading right now. I don't like, I almost know nothing about that show. Oh, Alistair is so funny. I, I've seen episodes here and there, but this is my first time watching it in totality from beginning to end. And it's only five seasons, but the chemistry between Queen Latifah and Erica Alexander, uh, Kim Fields. Um, I keep wanting to say Kyle Barker, but I know that's not his name. T.C. Carlson and just the yeah, whole cast. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah, yeah. it was electric. It was it was it I, was so electric. I hear Latifah's really good in that. And I, I've been pretty big fan a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. She's All like right. scary yeah. good. It's like, dude, are you even <laughs> acting? Seriously, because I'm, I'm wondering. I'm like, did she take acting classes or? But she just leaned into the whole Khadijah James like persona. That was her mm. to a T. It's, it's so good. And Hulu has a, a lot of the '90s sitcom shows uh, up on there. They have Fresh Prince, Family Matters. Um, and they have some um, older ones, like Designing Women, Golden Girls. I was watching a little bit of Golden Girls, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were bringing a whole lot. I, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, both of us showing a little bit of age right now. Um, <laughs> it's weird to think that that's back in the day now, too, because I was totally a Family Matters kid, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah, Same. that's a little while. That's a little ways back there. <laughs> Yeah, man. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. So um, yeah, of... I'll go back and check that out. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I totally recommend. But um, speaking of a little ways back, though, could you tell the people where your love of photography came from and what that journey was like for you? Uh, actually, back in high school, or I guess a little bit before that, I, I mean, anybody who has had parents that were creative probably found a camera somewhere in mm -hmm. their house. And like, I remember being really uh, interested and like curious about how it worked. Um, but never really, I don't think I had 
parents that were deeply invested in photography. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think my dad had a nice camera, if I remember correctly. But it didn't work by the time I got to it. And it was always just in the closet. But high school, most likely. At the end of high school, my last year, I had to choose a medium for my final year in art. And I chose photography after just kind of going to pawn shops in the city that I was living in. I just kind of picked up a camera for next to nothing. And it was still the time when film was the only, <laughs> that was it, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you brought a pointing shoot on your vacation. If you were lucky, you had a waterproof one yeah. uh, when you went swimming and it was film. And then you went to the lab and you were excited about uh, what you got right and what you got wrong. And if you missed mm -hmm. that moment, and you know, just that uh, feeling of being able to, the excitement of being able to see what memories you made you know, mm. and being able to mm. remember and cement them and remember them. Um, because you don't really know until you pick it, pick up the film, right? So yeah. anyways, and, and and the learning process is really interesting. It really, it is, I think a lot of people talk about shooting film now, and they say, it helps slow them down. But when it was the mm. only way to take pictures, it was just a, I think it was just interesting. And uh, so I picked photography as my last year in high school and that kind of uh I got hooked honestly yeah I I was going to uh so I was in a small town and there was a local newspaper they let me come in and use their dark room when they weren't busy mm. and so the, and they would develop my black and white film oh that's cool uh, so I, I could come in and actually print so I learned how to print when I was in this town um and I had like access to Luckily, there was like a camera store that actually had a decent supply of equipment. Um, and yeah, just learned a lot and had a lot of fun. It was just kind of fooling around. And I don't know if I was any good, but <laughs> I had a lot of fun. And it really kind of definitely that was like the beginning of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. And high school, probably. When digital became the big thing on campus, do you feel like it was harder to learn than learning film? In a way. Yeah, in a way, I think so. There were, I, there was generally, I think, a lot of just everybody was growing together with it and trying mm. to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you talk to, I think it was probably, it probably would have been harder for people who are already industry professionals who had an established workflow that were later in their career. Mm. I think you talk to those people. I think that would have been like the hardest um, trend. Those people would have been probably harder to transition. For me, it was, was like, interesting enough, I wasn't really shooting at all. I was trying to get into film in a completely different capacity at that time um, because I was hoping to, become a cinematographer or a director of photography ah. um, yeah yeah so coming back to this is actually one big 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 circle with like a huge kind of I took like a long detour uh, yeah through the film industry and I, I did a whole bunch of jobs but coming back and actually shooting on set is like the kind of culmination of a lot of like my interests and from high school and and just being treating it like it uh, is an art and then getting into the film industry. But 
Mm. Yeah, I had no ambitions of becoming a commercial photographer at all. I was like, either I wanted to get into the film industry or I was going to be a fine art photographer and that was it. So, and I got as far as one gallery showing, I think in mm. the early 2000s and that was it. Yeah. With you being yeah. able to combine both of your passions with film and photography, what would you say you love the most about each? Or either? People. Oh, the people. wow. Always the people. Yeah, always the people. The content's great, but if it's just about the content, then mm. it'll it'll leave you hanging. You know what I mean? Like mm. you watch a show every once in a while and you're just like, yeah, it was good, but was it worth my time? You know, and mm. imagine being through the process of having to create that and all the way through the process, you're like, it's okay, but we're not doing like the Lord's work here. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we're not, we're not really saving lives right now. You know what I mean? So, so it can be, but then you come across projects where you really believe in it or it is artistically or creatively very satisfying, hmm. but you'll be, you'll be left dry if it's the content, but the people, hmm. I mean, you get to know and collaborate with people like on both sides, like with photography, it's, you know, I'm lucky that people let me earn their trust you mm. know, to then open up in front and be, be available in a very, like, sometimes intimidating situation, you know, when you have a lens point with you and then yeah. on set, it's working with a whole group of people and you're trying to solve problems and get through a day and, yeah, the collaboration is incredible when you're on set. But yeah, yeah, I would say the people for sure. And we're going to get into that set life in a little bit. But uh, what for you, what would you say was your biggest transition? Or how was that transition for you when you kind of journeyed through this passion of filmmaking when you were doing cinematography um, and being on sets to then getting back to the camera was it kind of like riding a bike or were there some that or was there a, a bigger adjustment than you realized both and I, I should be mm -hmm. I should be clear I actually never actually ended up shooting mm -hmm. much okay so when I got into, yeah, when I got into film, I actually said, well, I should do this right. I'll let me learn lighting in a traditional way. So I, I got into the lighting department mm. uh, in Toronto and then wanted to just kind of learn how things work on set before I got to a point where I could sort of start using those tools to um speak with my voice you know and then mm. start trying to look at becoming and shooting more and uh but I never made it there I I got mm. sort of again I like to say tricked into becoming a grip but it, it became like a career that I just thoroughly enjoyed somebody mm. just offered me an opportunity to join a different department and then that was it and I just kind of I've done top to bottom as a as a member of the grip department and uh, did a lot of work as dolly grip and 
and a B sometimes a really good dolly grip, which I know a lot of people might not know what that is, but I was going to ask you. Have to think, yeah. <laughs> I was like, could you, you explain? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a dolly group is somebody who works really closely with the camera operator okay, and or sometimes the, the director uh, and the focus puller. But the three people that are generally, you need one person for sure, which is a camera operator to be able to, you know, execute a shot, right? Mm -hmm. um, from From concept, whoever is giving that concept. And then Usually there's a focus puller who chooses artistically what mm. the focus is being um, put on so that as viewers, we're told to, that this is the highlight, right? This is what mm. we should be looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very subjective and why we don't, yeah. like there's no autofocus in on mm. set, right? Because yeah. um, a, a computer can't do that for us, right? right. You can't say look at the watch and then pan up and then focus really deep in the background and put those two things together. And in our mind, conceptually, that says something story-wise, right? So, right. Uh, and then when there's camera movement, that's when a dolly grip can come into play. So, and the, I guess the simplest way to put it is a dolly grip is in charge of the placement and movement of the camera. Mm. not operating the camera itself, but the things that the camera would then be placed on. So like a, a dolly is a machine that can raise and lower the camera. And then you can take that and it's on wheels and then move it around on a smooth surface or mm. then put that on track. And so you might see like behind the scenes where there's like what looks like railroad track and there will okay. be a dolly on that. Yes. And then that's how you get some of those tracking shots, right? And so the dolly okay. grip will be the person who is then helping with the movement and placement of the camera in space, okay. right? Uh, and then to a certain degree on larger shows, you get into like cranes and jibs and stuff like that, that would then, you know, high sweeping angles and things like that. And then they're there to help safety the operator if they're doing steady cam work or handheld or something like that so yeah it's a but you work very closely with um creating shots yeah as a dollar grip but you're not responsible for the shot which is an interesting place to be so i was privy to a lot of just creating frames that mm. through and working with lots of different operators and DOPs and cinematographers and directors and wow. really kind of listening to what uh how they wanted to use their voice with the tools that we had right it so, seems like yeah echoes, so that was like it echoes photography like just hearing you talk about massively, it yeah. massively yeah. and it's to this today I'm like I'm grateful that like we're I mean we're just a sum of parts of many experiences but that was such a huge 2020 right like mm. or hindsight I should say such a huge uh as much it was like a detour now that I'm here but like it was it's instrumental in really shaping like reshaping my eye on set mm. right and I don't think if I didn't have that experience like I wouldn't see the way that I see I wouldn't know the people that I already know I wouldn't know where to be mm. you know like it's it's been incredible an incredible that experience has been an incredible asset and it's actually a job I, I haven't given up on it's you know if I had 
time in between shows, I still go back and do that because I love that job. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. So let's get yeah. into the nooks and nuts and bolts. I was going to say nooks and crannies, but nuts and bolts of what your time is as a set photographer during a, the, the production of a movie. So are you always, are, is there any pre-production responsibility that you have? Like, are you reading the script or are you allowed to look at the script or what does that look like for you? Uh, generally, yes, I... I don't think I've come across a project where like it's been so secretive that I haven't mm -hmm. been able to be privy. And that's like definitely Marvel. like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or I, or like, I guess I, I'm hearing a lot of that come out of the last of us, right. Where the actors mm -hmm. don't even know a lot mm -hmm. about what's going on and you're really trying to keep a tight lid on it to a certain degree, the technical operators and some of the technical positions, like you can't keep everybody in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you yeah. still have to like, organize the days right uh so i usually get to know and it's helpful to know what the storyline is so at least a synopsis but i'll i can i'll get scripts um there'll be sometimes there'll be a consultation about like what days might be best but generally for the networks that i work for they will have already sort of chosen uh days based on like a shooting schedule and uh, a call that they would have with the production, including producers and the production manager, et cetera. And then they'll decide that these maybe logistically and content wise are the best days for um, set photography. And then I'll, I'll be hired for those days. And then there'll be generally uh, a memo that is sent out that makes everybody aware that I'll be showing up. Uh, including uh, actors and then production so that I'm included in like uh, any emails. So I make sure I get call sheets and then, um, and then I'll usually, but not always get a list of uh, hopes and dreams is what I like to say it is, mm. you know, like what the network is hoping to get out of that day. Right. Um, and then all things going accordingly and if possible then i try and execute you know what they're asking for and so could you articulate to us normally what it is the network is asking for when they have you on set to take ter certain shots uh yeah generally uh it all speaks to like marketing the project right so like whatever mm. can help sort of tell the story i think generally without being told or asked like tell the story without maybe mm. giving away too much you know mm -hmm. uh, or at least if you're giving away something that might be a spoiler then it should be um well, i can't think of the right word it should be unclear mm. right mm -hmm. that it is related to the story right because mm -hmm. uh, that's the nice thing about a still just a moment is it you can easily take it out of context so oh, even if yeah. it may be a spoiler right it could be a moment that you don't even connect until you actually see yeah you know the project so kind of like tell the story help you know promote it in the way in a favorable light or or add drama in a way that then helps sort of make you want to ask more questions which then mm -hmm. hopefully pushes you to want to see it. So if you see an image that says, man, like I love Tyler Hines and he's looking really good in this photo, 
in this upcoming movie, then, you know, like my job's done. So, uh, but beyond that, the specials is usually what I think would be a specific request. So they might say, well, this is a big ensemble Christmas movie, for example, with Hallmark. We're hoping to kind of get them not only acting in the scene with the unit photography, like when they're, when the motion cameras are rolling, but also uh, kind of like a set portrait where it kind of looks like they're mm. in the story's environment, but they're looking at the still camera instead, right? So it yeah. is like kind of like a portrait and it kind of says, this is this family, they're in character-ish yeah. um, at, with a backdrop of Christmas. Uh, and it feels like you're connecting with them more directly because uh, generally it's a, a hard and fast rule that you don't look into the lens. Okay. Uh, right. With uh, it's very arresting if we were watching something on TV or a movie and right. the actor then looks, you know, so right. a lot right. of right. of that work when they're acting, you know, we try and stay out of their eyeline, but also they're looking off to the side. So you don't have that connection. So that would be something that would be like a special that the network would probably ask for. And then beyond that, then there's something like gallery where you're actually creating uh, specifically images for key art, which is usually a separate unit besides set photography. But, oh, yeah, okay. Which would go towards working the making the posters. And oh, sometimes you, we would take okay. some of the set, yeah, the set photos, and those could be used and Photoshopped in a way that then, which has been done. Uh, and then those go on to make the poster. Um, but sometimes uh, a studio session would be necessary because like the network might have something very specific in mind like they see that the poster would look like mm -hmm. this and then they would have a mock-up and then a specific day would be chosen to shoot that in a studio has any of your photos that you've taken on set be um, become a part of a poster that we've seen yes uh i was actually just having this conversation the other week um i think probably the Last example that I can think of is inventing the Christmas prince. <gasps> no, that's actually not the last. Yeah. I love that yeah, movie we did so it. much. <laughs> we, it was, I mean, that was a wonderful, I had a lot of fun on that one. Um, yeah, that actually wasn't the last one. I'm trying to wedding cottage recently but that mm -hmm. was a different scenario it was kind of a bit of a hybrid where we kind of did some photos on set but it kind of felt like it was st we still try to treat it like it was sort of a bit of a studio experience as well but mm. we'll i don't think the key art is out for that yet but i think we'll see that and then um there's been a few it comes up every once in a while but uh generally there's a special day for key art okay um that's a, that's done offset but uh yeah i mean there's still you might find that the poster the main poster looks like this but then they'll take some of the picture that i've taken on set mm -hmm. and then still add title or banners or um, yeah. to that yeah right and then it kind of feels like you're it's an extension of that but it doesn't you know look the same right it's not as yeah it's not studio lit because I'm always working with what is available. 
Yeah. So can you talk about what your day looks like from like you open your eyes, thank God for waking you up, and then you're on your way. Like what does Work. a day look like for you? Uh, I will get a call sheet. I'll, I'll kind of schedule my my day, make sure I know where I'm going the night before, wake up in the morning, double check that I've kind of prepped everything in, in the cases that I have and I have all my gear that I need to bring, uh, load up, drive out and land on set. And I'll usually take a, a moment, a few moments to just kind of get my bearings, unless it's somewhere that I know that I've been before, like a location that, you mm. know, I think by now, especially in the Hallmark universe, we've noticed that uh, certain locations are revisited a few times and we start yeah. to kind of get to know them. <laughs> right yeah so and it's the same for me like I there's just a few places that I know exactly what to expect because we've worked there before you know a few times and then yeah. uh, I'll read the call sheet make sure that um like uh, there's a few people on there that I I know if there's anybody that I've befriended before that I'm excited to see uh, mm. just make sure that I if I if there's an actor that I haven't worked with then I'll look them up to make sure that I know what they they look like so that when I arrive, then I can be like, boom, you're on my hit list. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I know who to look out for. And then, uh, yeah, land on set, get my bearings. Like I said, unless it's somewhere that's familiar, um, say hi to people that I know, you know, cause it's always, again, it's the people, mm -hmm. right? So and it's always, I'm always grateful for the fact that so many crew members give me space mm. um, to work because I am a visitor, right? Mm. Uh, I'm not there every day that they're shooting. And if I get my work done, it doesn't necessarily mean that the day goes faster mm. um, either. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm re I really try to honor that uh, and the fact that people give me space and they trust me. Um, to be in that space and then yeah so it's, I like to say hi make sure I you know like I've you know made myself aware but also try and stay a little bit in the shadows and not be low profile is definitely a very helpful asset yeah um, in, in my line of work yeah yeah um and then sorry yes go ahead no, I was going to let you finish. I'm sorry. I didn't want to uh, cut you off in case you had something else that you wanted to say. No, just the rest of the day is just uh, just trying to fight for good frames. That's it. So, mm. yeah, just try and always be watching and looking for uh, interesting frames that kind of say something, you know, that really help. Uh, a few things I always like to say that if if I feel like the actors would be happy with how they're being represented then almost everybody is really happy like my mm -hmm. you know first line of defense is to make sure that they look good you know because if they look good then they're happy and then it's more likely that like the network is inevitably going to be happy you know um, because they have hopefully great assets that say you know here are the people that are the key actors in this film look at them looking really good right and mm -hmm. represented well and and then after that just trying to tell tell the story right yeah tell a story try and find those moments where where you're 
either they're acting or you're creating a moment that really communicates what that project's about, right? Yeah. It's so crazy how each, like the, the theme of storytelling has been coming up no matter which role or which person I've talked to, like talking with the costumer, the production designer, they each mentioned how they see storytelling through that aspect. And it's just so enriching to just listen to how storytelling is composed through these different mediums, through fashion and wardrobes, through set design, and even through photography. It's just been really like this whole masterclass. This, this is why I enjoy talking with people in different positions and different roles, because you can really, it broadens your perspective, but at the same time, you can see how everything gels together and the, the big, I don't want to call it machine, but like the unifying factor of everybody being there is telling a story. And it's just so neat to see how it's, the branches are broken it off from that. Always is. I mean, if you think about it, no matter what, it has to be source material. If it's a book or an idea that somebody, but at some point somebody wrote it down and you're mm. trying to tell a story, right? Like, that's literally like if it's a documentary or it's a reflection of reality, however you want to call it, or if it's fiction that was completely dreamed up, it's still mm -hmm. a version of storytelling. And then that like the script is like the, the narrow that mm -hmm. then kind of dictates what we all do. Like, you know, and practically too, like there'll be at the beginning of every project, there'll be a, a script reading and a script breakdown. Mm. Uh, where it informs each department what their duty is to help support the script, the story, right? So we all are actually working for that story, you know, and everything that we do, no matter who you are, you talk about great cinematographers who make uh, lighting choices, you know, and how sometimes the, or I'm sure you talk to, you know, costume designers and, it's no mistake that they were in that color, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. maybe psychologically it adds like that extra depth and all we as like individual participants are doing is literally just there to add like one more layer mm. of depth to that story, right? So that it feels like it's even more uh, three-dimensional, you know? Oh, in, a, so good. in a two-dimensional screen right yes. so yeah oh yeah. wow that's so profound that's so and I, that's one thing too because i know jack squat about filming like i'm from a literature uh camp so my stuff is 2d in a product sense but 3d up here as a writer of course but there's only so much you can see and hold up here. And then to now be, for lack of better words, thrusted with my podcast into this filming community and to see the, the broad range and the broad spectrum of how something that can come from up here or from this 2D product and get made into this three-dimensional space where you feel like you can smell what they're cooking or you can touch what they're holding or what they're wearing with the type of coat they have or with the type of couch that they sit on or something like that yeah. like it's just it's just this has been or so profound it's and it's crazy because i think the, the number one thing that 
that I get feedback from being on the inside of the industry is that people don't understand how, why, like, it's just amazing how many people, like we show up and like, even if it's a small project, it's like hundreds of people and like, try. <laughs> it's like the, like the circus comes to town, right? Like, you know, there's like tractor trailers and we're invading and there's lights everywhere and there's like people and we bring our own food and it's just like <laughs> bedlam, right? Like total takeover. And, uh, and it's hard to see, like when you see a bill, a, a, like a skyscraper going up, you're like, of course it would take a thousand people, mm. like all around the, you know, like all, cause like, look at how big it is. Like, it's crazy. But yeah. with like a, a movie, it's hard to conceptualize how much work goes into that. Yes. Um, you know, because you're like, you just see the product and the product isn't tangible. It's two dimensional. You can't hold it. You know, you can't actually like turn it around and go, wow, a lot of work went into it unless you know the language and everything. And what I actually find really interesting, I think from your perspective, talking as a writer, you're saying it's all up here, but probably what's the most interesting factor is that it takes this many people to try and keep up with our own imaginations. Oh, that's right? so profound. <laughs> Oh my god! You know, but like it's amazing because like we could do that in a in a like we read a book wow. from a story perspective, and yeah. we just like immediately, as and I'm sure you can relate to this. You create a whole world like immediately. Oh, his name is Brad. Mm -hmm. He lives on the street. You start painting it all in your head. You know what the street looks like based on memories that you've had. Uh, you yeah. had this intimate connection from something that you remember in a memory from childhood, uh, like. It, you know how many people it takes to try and keep up with that <laughs> and make it feel like it's really intimate and speaks broadly to everyone. Right. So mm -hmm. from a business perspective, right. Like you're trying to appeal sure. to like a mass audience. Right. So yeah. And it takes a lot of practical execution. Right. Like, as you said, you can really smell the food. Somebody was there cooking that food right? Like if you see it on screen, it had to be produced, right? Yeah. Like somebody had to bring that, make that show up, create it if it didn't exist at all. Um, you know, my favorite is if it was like a dark and dreary night, mm -hmm. guess what we were doing? Mm -hmm. We were out working, you know, outside on a dark and dreary night to make it feel like it was that feeling, right? Yeah. We were out there doing that work at that time, right? And so, yeah, yeah. What would you say? Uh, yeah, but like, sorry, I'm so sorry. I get, I get so no, excited. No, no. no I, I love, I just love questions. that. I love that thing about the, no, the, 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 God, I just love that you kind of put those two together as a writer. But like, I really do think it takes us like, it takes an army to try and keep up with like human imagination, you know, to try and recreate that as a machine. And it really is a big machine, but like, look at, look at what we have to do. Yeah. Or you could just read a book. Well, that, that too, like, that's, I think that's why, from my perspective, I love books because I feel like they get the gears turning because my, I, I kind of take on the C.S. Lewis philosophy where I feel like the imagination is one of those things that are, that we lose as adults, that like that muscle that doesn't get exercised when we're 
as we grow up because of cynicism, like jaded experience, things like that, that can really dull how we see and and just the the whimsy and the the faith and the hope that our imagination can produce and even just um practically just even trying to picture things in general in our minds sometimes i don't think we allow ourselves the space and the opportunity to do that and i think that's why i go hard for fiction so much because i think fiction not only is a way to present um, nonfiction principles and, a, and kind of repackage them in a palatable way for people to digest, but I think it also, it, it wets the gears and gets the gears going on your imagination. So like if someone was half man, half goat, or a cent, whatever a centaur is, and then you can see them running through the, the forest, like your mind will be able to work to try to picture that to see. And then who knows where, where you can go from there, what you can dream for yourself, what you can hope from yourself just from reading that book and being able to to work your imagination like a muscle to get those pictures to come totally to you know what i mean which which is yeah i totally know what you mean because i find that that is i think ties into something that somebody told me when i was like at the beginning of really uh being interested in like i'll just say image making like period mm -hmm. like I'll, mm -hmm. like right out of high school and they said you know i don't know sometimes it floats around but like uh you know, there's a general feeling that, you know, like photos can be a lie, right? Mm. You know, like a photograph isn't necessarily the truth. But the flip side of that is it isn't necessarily that it's doctored or changed or manipulated as we are often confronted with now and like the authenticity, but it's like nothing that is, and this is what I was told early on, well before I got into film, I think that nothing that is two-dimensional can ever be real mm. in the way that we understand it because it doesn't have that third you can't touch it mm. you can't pick it up it's not a sculpture you know so and based on that it is a lie for sure but it is immediately representative right so it immediately becomes a metaphor like no matter what it is if it's two-dimensional it's a meta it is only representing something else so what do you choose to say with that metaphor is what wow. kind of lends that, like what you're talking about, that subversion, right? Like if it's yeah. a centaur, like now it, it doesn't matter. You're disconnecting and you're like, okay, so like I, I but it's a, still a metaphor because the centaur represents yeah. what, right? Yeah. Right. And then that kind of, and then like, how do I see myself and relate to that? And what does that say about me? And how do I learn something from this? If there is something to learn from that, but like, it's allegory, it's metaphor, it is not real, it never can be real, because it is two dimensional, you can't, you know, like, I can hold a picture, but like, I see the person, but it, this is mm -hmm. not them, mm -hmm. right, you know, and even if it was a sculpture of them, you could say, you can't say it is them, but you can say that it is made of rock or metal, right, mm. this is a rock, right, so uh, I can touch that, and I can manipulate that, but you can't, it's just metaphor. We're just playing with metaphors. That's all we're doing. Ah, I love that. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. This is, again, I wish C.S. Lewis was my grandfather. Like, he's my ultimate. I love him so much. Because uh, I, I feel like he would applaud what you're saying, because I think that was his mission, too. He spoke, outside of his um, 
theological work, I mean like his his uh, fiction work, he he was all about metaphor and allegory and painting and and using because the fact that he was able to use a um, characters and plot lines that could seem so juvenile or so childish in an imaginative world such as Narnia, but to still have it translate throughout generations because of the metaphor, the allegory, like I think that speaks wonders. And I think it's it's one of the oldest ways of learning and I mean storytelling, right? Like yeah. you say it is like this, but it doesn't have to be that. But once you say it is like this, then you can explain an idea uh, much more eloquently that I think speaks deep deeper than just yes. calling it what it is right yes. and you're not saying do this because this you're saying look at this look at look at this idea you know like and mm -hmm. let, let's unwrap and it, it is like and it smells like and it feels mm -hmm. like and it is and then it's the intimacy of understanding an idea through a story <laughs> yeah I but, can't. yeah <laughs> this is great this is so great so Getting back into your day-to-day -day a little bit, um, do you have assistants that work with you on set to, to help you get these shots, or are you kind of a lone ranger uh, when you go on set? Uh, definitely the second one. It's almost all, mm. like, I can't even think of the times that I've had anybody that's really helped me. And if I did, it was because we were doing something outside my normal purview in terms of being like an on-set photographer. Mm. But generally you're, you're like a lone, you just kind of parachute in unless you're there <laughs> every day on set, which is also mm -hmm. like a, a rare occurrence, like not every project's like that, but you just kind of get like, literally you get dumped you have to find your bearings, figure it out, and then mm. um, you're on your own. So if you need help, you need to try and make friends really quickly if you don't already have friends, right? Like mm. if you or liaise with people and really kind of contact with them. Or I mean, I know some people who, and depending on the network and what you're asked to shoot, you can kind of go through your whole day just being uh completely incognito and a ninja and I know a lot wow. of people prefer to operate that way because you can show up not say a word shoot as if you're just never you know seen and you're just kind of hiding in the background you try and stay out of the way um and then go home right so you can do the job without actually having to interact with anybody but uh you're not going to get any of the portraits obviously mm -hmm. that like these uh, environmental portraits because that requires like coordination and obviously some sort some kind of communication so um yeah but all that on your own so you're your own person mm -hmm. every sometimes you might have a publicist that may be local but generally on the shows that i work on the titles that i work on uh they're all working remotely from the states so oh, okay. uh, and then we're producing everything here so all yeah. of this will be done through email and it's really up to me to sort of represent the network in that capacity on set but okay. on my own so there's no one to right. help like kind of field or like buffer against any issues or anything like that so right. yeah or or material like kind of manufacture moments or anything like that so that's sort of up to you but yeah that's your 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 own boss in a way 
and the only repercussions are uh, answering for what you have or haven't gotten. You know, mm. like the truth is always in what gets delivered photo wise at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So nobody's there to really tell you that you're late necessarily or you leave early or that you didn't mm. shoot this or that or why weren't you kind of around or if you feel like you got it and they go and they do 10 more takes of it and you're like but I shot it then you can go and sit it out for a little while and so mm. there's there's a lot of freedom but there's yeah. a lot of a lot to answer for yeah I bet and I think that speaks back to something you mentioned in our first interview where you talked about serving the image and not necessarily the the part well, not that you're not serving the person, but like your goal is to serve the image when you're capturing it. And I can imagine with that role, that's your purpose is to really like, did you serve the image? Are you capturing the image, that essence of what the movie is about with that, or at least a piece of it, a, a peak of it with that that shot that you're getting that's what that reminded me of uh when you were talking about that it's a you have a great memory man i'm, I'm saying i'm just <laughs> you do your homework but yeah <laughs> uh yeah i mean i still i joke about how you uh you caught me out like right out of the gate in our first interview with that like what did you mean by it i'm like oh lord she read my bio <laughs> Cause I actually I have to explain so that to somebody. I like it was the way it was written that captivated me, and so I thought, "Oh, what did he mean when he said this?" Like a, a philosophy of photography, because I've known some photographers in my day, but they've never expressed or articulated their purpose quite the way that you have. So I was very intrigued. That's why I, I asked that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think just to add another layer to, I guess, that answer that is in that other interview is because that was I mean I had a lot of fun I think talking that out with you because mm -hmm. I don't think I, I actually had explained it in depth that way to anybody I don't think anybody's actually asked me like, wow. what, man, what, did, what, did, what kind of nonsense did you write on your website <laughs> <laughs> um yeah besides like I had somebody kind of proofread and as an editor before I published it and they were like yeah no that looks good I think that's you know that was it that's as far as I probably got with that um yeah. and talking to my wife about it yeah but I think to add that extra layer like just talking about how we've been sort of it's the metaphors right and as we know with like allegory I think you know I should say with like allegory and metaphors and working in a creative environment you're using all those tools the tools that you have at hand to really craft it as complete as you can yeah. right will yeah. i will i ever get to a point of perfection where in one frame i have wrapped up this moment never <laughs> i will mm. never get there like never should i strive always to try and put all the pieces together and hope that the stars align with like how all the variables are swirling around us all the time, you know, and I just mm. happen to push the button and mm. technically get it right as well. Yeah, I should keep on trying to do that, you know, but I will never reach perfection. I can only hope that I try and get as close to it as possible and that it is easily conveyed when you look at it. 
Um, so yeah, it's, I think it keeps you, it's still, it keeps you honest, right? Like, yeah. Um, for me personally, you know, from a, from like a actual, I'm being hired to do a job, uh, then like, I still like to think that it's important that I work for the people who are actually in front of my lens first. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. if I do poorly by them, that will always come back to me. Right. Yeah. You know, whether they want to look at the photos or not, they'll probably see them eventually. And if I took a bad frame of them, they're going to be like, I don't want to work with that guy again. Mm -hmm. You know, why did he catch me yawning? Right. And then somehow <laughs> that got published. Right. So, um, if they feel good, much like we feel the experience of like being, having your photo taken is almost more important than what the photo looks like. So if the experience is great and they yeah. are happy, mm -hmm. then that always translates. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and then that almost always like, it's like, it's a pyramid for me. Like personally it's, I work for the image, but nobody needs to know that because that that's not what I get hired, you know, like, mm -hmm. of course, like I need to make pretty pictures. That's what mm -hmm. they expect. It's a no brainer. But like after that, it's the people or the subjects that are in the photos. And then almost everything falls into place after that. Mm -hmm. Like you're made, you're satisfying all of those things. Like inevitably the network will be happy, yeah. you know, inevitably after that, you'll be happy because they're happy. Right. right? right. Because the actors are happy because you, yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are y'all hearing this? This is, this is good. This is good. This is really, really good. So Alistair, what would you say for being a set photographer? Are you in a specific department or because your role is such a lone ranger for a uh, quote unquote um, type of role when you're there? you don't, you aren't really a part of a specific department. Both. Technically, ah. uh, yeah, technically I'm in the camera department. Okay. Which, che which checks out because cameras, right? Um, okay. And image making and generally, and so that becomes like, if you had to classify and put it in a box, then that's the, that's like who has purview over the position okay uh, which department does so technically i'm in the camp so in a unionized sense i uh, you would as a stills photographer you would be part of like the international cinematographers guild right which includes okay. like everybody else who's actually directly involved with the technical aspects of image making right okay. so like directors of photography uh any of the camera assistants um etc cetera, etc cetera. so um so technically i'm in the camera department but again my agenda is almost always independent of yeah. what is happening on set. So it's hard. You get, there's like, you're not always uh, completely welcome because again, it comes back to that idea that the, the agenda of what you're trying to do to be able to actually produce the script in uh, the movie sense is that, you know, we have to capture sound and we need to capture moving images. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the actors need to act and they, we get the words and we tell the, you know, we put all of the, and the, everybody's wearing what they should be wearing. They have the right props. And again, all building that, you know, trying to put it all together so that when we see it on screen, we believe it. Yeah. Um, and that's that agenda. My agenda is literally just to take moments, you know? So I like, I have mm -hmm. a completely 
different just so it's not always like compatible right like yeah you try and stay out of the way because again like if I get everything all my work done and I get it done early and I feel like man like I did it uh it doesn't mean we're we're all done for the day right mm -hmm. um they still have to finish what's on the schedule so you are both your a lone ranger and sort of an outcast and but you also are part of the um the larger part of the machine right which yeah. is sometimes hard to yeah. see because like um you don't know that you're missing marketing materials until you're done shooting and you're mm. past editing right and then you're about to start promoting the film because you have it you have the product right you have the mm -hmm. film and you're like man i just wish we had spent more time on set um getting some more shots of this that or or something else that would then help sort of show what this movie is about or we could put that into the poster or etc and that's sometimes mm -hmm. hard to see on the day because you're so consumed with just making the movie or the television right. show right but and you don't necessarily miss what you could have had until way down the line mm. um, but that's where it also helps I think the biggest compliment that I had from somebody on set was that uh, that was just like outrageously generous in terms of like giving me space they said it was a camera operator and they said that you know like no we love having you here you need to be here your work is just as important as ours because mm. you keep us working. You help keep us working, right? Like mm. if the movie doesn't do well, then will we have another movie, mm. right? Yeah. So does it matter what we're creating, you know, if it doesn't really get seen or isn't promoted or, yeah. Uh, and I was like, that, yeah, that was huge for me because it really validated me being on set you know, wow. versus like the network always appreciates having really great photos because they take them and then do great things with them. Right. Yeah. And then your work gets out and that's awesome. But um, yeah, it's hard to appreciate what sometimes we do as lone rangers, as you said, on set. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to the person who's listening, who may be in photography and have a love of photography, but after listening to our conversation, may want to transition into becoming a, a set photographer. What advice would you give to that person for how to make their transition or make their way to becoming uh, a set photographer? I would say if you don't have any experience in any capacity with being on set, try and find a way to get on set. Mm. before you try and maybe tackle shooting on set. Uh, it can be very uh, challenging to kind of understand uh, from an outside perspective where to stand. Mm. Um, like uh, we often joke that you, you like, there's no possible way to stay out of the way when you're on set. Mm. Like no matter what you're trying to do to stay out of the way, it's like a, it's a, it's almost impossible. Like you can only continually try to stay out of the way, but at some point you're going to be in the way. There's just so much going on and so many different people doing different things and trying to understand who you should and shouldn't be sort of like uh, directly interacting with uh, continuously or, you know, who uh, you can lean on. So there's a lot of questions that I would just say, get on set, try and even if it is like a, 
a small project just try and see what filmmaking looks like in person if you haven't experienced it even if it is just like five people going out with a camera Mm. uh, and trying to record sound um, because you you know there's a lot to understand about the dynamic there's a reverence about when we roll sound like Mm. nobody says anything right Mm -hmm. like there's no talking there's no working everybody's concentrating and uh, being reverent to uh, capturing the performance right so and that's so that we don't break that fourth wall like you if you hear somebody dropping a bunch of plates in the background <laughs> and it isn't part of the story you're gonna wonder it just takes you right out of that right and then yeah. we destroy the you know the mystery right yeah you know? uh yeah so i would say try and get on set you know it's not like anything the probably maybe the closest thing would be like wedding photography as a from a photographer's standpoint mm. um because it's fast paced you don't always get like another chance at mm. shooting something and you're not completely in control of the situation right mm, right um, right um so i've heard a lot of people kind of compare the two and say it's very similar to that but still doesn't teach you how to sort of maneuver on set which is really important um because if you get caught out being in the way too often then you start losing access to space Mm. and then that inhibits like what you uh can do like it takes a few tools out of your tool bag in terms of how you create images and then until you're maybe in the in the fringes right and you're Mm. far away and you just Mm -hmm. wish you could be closer because it would work way better if you were just much closer but nobody really wants to welcome you there so yeah yeah knowing the space very important yeah very important be get on set try and try and see what it looks like feel it out um get used to the hours because they can be crazy Mm. um yeah yeah because the skills of like photography are important but uh yeah being on set is probably just as if not more important yeah how you act on set wow well you've done it again you've blown my mind and this has been a great conversation so i want to thank you so much alistair foster for gracing us uh for the dear hallmark Masterclass. i and i'm sure the listeners and viewers are thankful and grateful um because again you're so generous and just um the information that you're you're giving. I know this will give insight to a lot of uh, people, just kind of like a peek behind the curtain, which is what my goal is with this. So thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, do you have a website or like any social media or anything that you want to plug for people to, to check you out and to keep in contact with you? Sure. I, I have both. Abashedly, uh, uh, I should say that I'm probably pretty poor at, at keeping either of them updated so but my <laughs> website is well overdue and that's something that's like top of my priority right now so I do have a website it is just my name alistairfoster.com uh, two l's e-r a-l-l-i-s-t-e-r foster.com uh, I hope in the next month or so that I'll refresh that with a lot of content that may not have aired that I'm allowed to publish. So that should be exciting to be able to yeah. share that. And then my social, I'm on Instagram as Alistair.foster. So, and that that's kind of like, I use, use it 
every once in a while work makes it there, but generally, mainly in my stories, but generally I use it as a kind of creative outlet and sort of a supporting portfolio to show like what I'm interested in doing outside of what I actually get paid to, to do. Yeah. So lots of pictures of my kids on film. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, Alistair, thank you so much again. And um, guys, for all of Alistair's links, they will be in the show notes if you are listening to this via podcast or in the description box if you are watching via YouTube. So he's Alistair, I'm Dara, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, my friends. <laughs>